Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Kami Sharia. And I'm Monica Ainley. And you're listening to Fashion No Filter where we sit down with some of the lead creatives, strategic thinkers, and emerging talent around us. Tune in as we take you through the ins and outs of the fashion industry today. Coming up on the show, all your usual rendezvous, including Dressed for Radio, Risk Takers, and of course, Cami's favorite, Social Media Break. Yay. Plus, a chat with the brilliant business brains behind the commercial success of Chloe, Geoffroy de la Bourdonnais. And a moment with London's most tasteful colour queen, Roxanda. Also on this episode, we will get the lowdown from one of the industry's most articulate young fashion critics, no-filter friend Elizabeth Payton of the New York Times. But first, before we start the episode, a little word of thank you to our official sponsor, Bumble, whom we already mentioned last time. We are super proud to be working with the one and only feminist dating app that allows women to make the first move. Oh, yeah. Today on Fashion No Filter, we're going to be talking about the game of musical chairs that the industry has been playing, by which I mean head designers being bounced around from one house to the next, kind of like a football player that's being transferred between teams. It's quite hard to keep up, really, who's where nowadays, and the last 12 months have seen more creative director departures than ever before. Part of the blame for designers wanting to move around so often is just how bloated the fashion calendar itself has become. But it is important to remember that the swapping game isn't strictly a modern phenomenon. So most designers who went on to establish themselves at acclaimed fashion houses did first cut their teeth under the direction of another big name. Think of Karl Lagerfeld, who started off at Yves Saint Laurent, then went to Chloe, which is a house that we're going to talk more about today, before taking up his current throne at Chanel, where he has reigned for 34 years. Oh, hail King Karl. <laughs> We want to try and establish why these creative geniuses move around so much. Is it a youth quake, a pinch of pep for mighty houses, or just simply a question of economics? Remember, the thing is, it's not just about being creative. You also have to make sales. Indeed. As European styles correspondent for the New York Times, Elizabeth Payton attends and covers pretty much every important couture and ready-to-wear show on the planet, while providing a refreshing point of view on global trends and their effect on the business of fashion. I know I, for one, have relied on her insightful analysis of the corporate side of the industry on more than one occasion. 
Lizzie, thanks for joining Cami and I in the studio today. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. So, Lizzie, can you explain what people in the fashion industry mean when they talk about the designer musical chairs phenomenon? Sure. So historically, uh, executives and designers stayed at the top of fashion houses for a very long time, for decades. Industry was very resistant to change. And that's all changed in the last decade because of two things. Number one, the demands of the industry. There is more and more demand for product at more times of the year. And of course, the rise of social media and digital. And that has massively sped up these employment cycles. So forget a decade. Now five seasons is the norm for a designer at the top of a major fashion house. And, you know, if they're not performing, Forming, then they're out. If they burn out, they're also out. Um, but because actually there's only a limited number of houses that people are really interested in, and there's only a limited cast of characters, it's the same faces over and over again running for the same spots. Who would you say is generally the first to one out? Would you say it's the head designers that are most likely to be stepping down or, or the corporate side asking them to I think it's both. I think you're seeing a real churn both in the boardrooms and the backrooms. But I mean, there's a lot of those studios are full of people that have stayed there for decades. It's the it's the it's the studio heads that are really the mainstays, and it's the designers that I think are really burning out fast. But I guess the question is now is whether that there is a burnout issue or actually these big designers don't want to be there anymore. So if you look at someone like Raft, like Hedy, they chose to walk away. They decided that actually the big brands or that current structure wasn't for them. Yeah. And they decided to go elsewhere. Even Gisquier at Balenciaga was quoted saying that he was tired of like how he was being sucked dry and almost got like sued for it, right? Exactly, exactly. And I guess, you know, the, the big change is, is that designers are now brands themselves. You Historically, the brands were the brands and the designers were the, the puppeteers behind the screen. And now they have their own brands to manage. And, and I guess they balance things up and decide whether it's worthwhile or not. Right. So while it's obvious that having a designer for such a short time can create a challenge in terms of putting their true mark on the collection, is the counter argument not on some level that it does give young up-and-coming designers the support system that they need to prove themselves. I mean, I think it's a mix. I think, yes, at one level, there's a big support system. They get the PR machine, they get the funding, they get the executive backing. Um, but at the other level, the pressures are enormous. And I don't think it's it's a surprise that a lot of the bright young things emerging out onto the scene choose to set up shop on their own. I think they take a decision on that and decide that they'd rather stay independent. And what's also changed the market in regards to that is that a lot of the talent now is secured by LVMH and caring by buying up the small brands or buying stakes in the brands. Historically, you know, if you wanted to be a fashion designer, you spent a decade or two slaving behind the scenes in a studio at one of the big houses and finally rose to the top. And of course, there are people who are still doing that. But equally, a lot of the designers, especially in London, choose to break out on their own. So interesting. Um, Sarah Moa also said that the golden days of the super adulated designer in his ivory tower are sort of long gone now. Do you agree with this? Yes and no. You know, I think that designers' nests aren't as feathered as they were. But by the same measure, you know, Christopher Bailey got £10 million this year not to be CEO of Burberry. And <laughs> Nicolas Gesquier is always on his yacht. And, you know, Karl Lagerfeld's always getting private jets for Choupette, the cat. So, you know, it is fantasy land still. But yeah, at the same measure, I, I think that you know, brands are thinking hard about how to retain the loyalty of their customers. And 
a lot of them look at that world and I think don't know if there's that much authenticity there anymore. Yeah. Bit of a cliche buzzword, but it's true. And actually, a lot of them are far more interested in the kids doing underground things or in this sort of subcultures. And and there's, a, there's an argument that says that if the brands keep looking and seeing that the designers and their flash jet set lives don't hold the same power or bring in the same money as they used to, that they may decide that actually those cushy pay packages don't hold the same weight that they once did. Yeah, we might see a change. We might, but I mean, at the same time, I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. Anytime soon, soon, yeah. Yeah. They are the creative geniuses after all. There's a reason they're at the top. Indeed they are. (laughs) Well, so just generally, these days, social media allows designers to give a face to the label, as we touched on, rather than just working behind the scenes. Mm, It's another dimension to the narrative. Yeah, exactly. So is this game changer having a positive effect overall on the industry or a negative one, in your opinion? I think you can see it at both sides. I mean, at one level, it's really interesting that designers are now considered celebrities in their own right and independent of the brand. You know, you see people like Nicola Gesquier, Olivier Roustain from Balmain. They have millions of followers on Instagram and that gives them a certain clout in terms of, you know, their fan bases and also what they can get from the brands themselves. Uh, For the brands, uh, you know, they've also been able to reach a huge new, you know, potential fan base. And that's really important. I mean, let's be real. The market for luxury has slowed down dramatically in the last three or four years. This isn't the, the, the you know the boom years anymore. The Chinese market and the American market have really slowed down, and that means there needs to be a real focus on product, product that really, really resonates with with shoppers. And so, at one level, social media is a way of doing that. But I mean, as well, it means that you know social media followers can often be fickle, and so that means that demand for churn and change is even more dramatic than it used to be. Can we ask you on a personal note? If there have been any exciting appointments that you've seen, any any, any dream match that, that hasn't happened yet and that you're hoping to make a big change? I think there are quite a few houses where where we may see change in the next couple of years. I have to be a little bit careful with, with what I say, um, you know, but in terms of uh J.W. Anderson, we've been talking about what he might be able to do at the top of a big house. Um, I think that's a, a really exciting one for me. I think, you know, Christopher Bailey's made it really clear he's he's staying at Burberry for the time being, but that's a house that as well has a lot of potential if someone else took the reins. I, I can't be too specific. What about you guys? Ooh, <laughs> Monica and I both have the same one. Yeah. Without, without, with no offense to Carl, because obviously he's doing such a great job. No, we love now. Carl. It's, it's quite we, stressful designing a collection. We were just hoping that maybe Phoebe would want to take the reins. Come on, Phoebe. Please, Phoebe. We, 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 we do think that Eddie will get it, but Phoebe would be our dream choice. Do you think she'd want to leave Celine? I think so. She left Chloe at the height of her success. Um, and same, I feel like she's in the same sort of space that Celine. And I feel that she's like, what she does best is sort of accessories and, and all of that, which at Chanel would be so fantastic with like the big budgets and all the means that they have at that house. But does think- she want all of that? I'm not saying she does. I don't know her personally. We feel that we know her personally because she's been communicating with us. But then, of course, there's the dark horse rumoured about Chanel. Now, there's someone who's really known how to harness their Instagram and build themselves a brand independent from their employer. Which is... Mr. Slimane. Yeah. But the thing about Slimane, I've always liked his stuff, but I just feel that no matter where he goes, it's very similar. And he just brings in his Eddie Slimane silhouette, like the Dior arm, like... 
very sleek, very grunge, and I'm not sure I would want that for Chanel. Uh, I think all those one percent ladies that buy Chanel's collections year on year would probably not be so happy with uh, with the Eddie Slim in touch, yeah. but maybe not. I don't know. Let's we see. We shall see. Lizzie, thank you so much for speaking. You're welcome. To us. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. So now on Risk Takers, we want to talk about someone who made a mighty change to a mighty house. Okay, so remember those black t-shirts fashion followers started wearing a few years ago that said, Ain't Laurent without Eve? Maybe you don't, but if you do, maybe you'd care for an explanation. If you don't, you can go look it up. <laughs> no, but I, I, I remember everybody went crazy when Eddie Slimane, when he was appointed at the head of uh, Saint Laurent in 2012, decided to actually change the name of the house. He scrapped the Eve at the beginning of Yves Saint Laurent and renamed the house Saint Laurent Paris, much to everybody's utter disgust, saying, how dare he? He can't just come in and... Scandal. And, yeah, scandal. Like, how dare he come in and change the name of such a prestigious house? Who does he think he is? This kid from L.A. Um, and it turned out that actually, well, not only was Yves Saint Laurent never called... Yves Saint Laurent, when Yves the man was still alive, it was called Saint Laurent Rive Gauche. So actually, yeah. So actually, he wasn't actually making that a real change to to the first original name of, of the house itself. Yeah. But also, like I want to say, it's a pretty bold move when you're being brought into a house like that that's so so prestigious, so famous, and you are there to bring in your mark. Isn't it normal that you want to like do something to change it up a tiny bit? Is it truly that bad? Shakespeare said, what, what's in the name? Well, Cammy and I had a bit of a debate about this recently because the thing is, I'm in the Aunt Laurent camp. Uh, well, I'm in the in the Saint Laurent camp. I love the modern interpretation of the brand simply because... You I, wear it. I, I wear it all the time. I wore, I wore a Saint Laurent dress to a wedding. It's just that I think that Yves Saint Laurent, the man, had a spirit. It was like he he was one of the first to put denim on the runway he brought it from the streets and he thought that that was cool and I feel but that that's grunge grunge on a Saint runway yeah but like something... he's Eddie was bringing that from the street the music the musical scene and like all of that and and bringing it to fashion in the same way I think they he managed to keep but some critics said house. that it just looked like Topshop with no offense to Topshop um they did but then again like it sold like crazy so again who wins here what's the real priority it has to be a balance between the two I mean I know that personally I would would do pretty well anything for a YSL archive piece, but I'm not especially interested in what's going on now. I admit I'll never be invited to their show again. Well, I, I love Saint Laurent and I can say that although Eddie has departed, I'm also very excited of the new appointment, which is uh, Vaccarello. Um, yes, Anthony Vaccarello will be a very interesting progression for the brand and we're looking forward to seeing what happens. I, I, I concur. A London designer through and through, the award-winning Roxanda Alinchik is known for her vividly colourful, sculptural and feminine designs. She has become very well known on the London scene and internationally, she even dressed Michelle Obama. Cammy went to East London to pay her a visit. I'm here in the studio with Roxanda. Thank you so much for having me in your showroom this morning. Um, would you like to give us a little bit of a history of yourself as a designer? Yes, well, good morning, everybody. You're welcome. Lovely to have you here. Um, well, I started um, quite a while back. I uh, come from Belgrade, from Serbia. 
where I studied at the same time architecture, University of Architecture, and also Faculty of Applied Arts. Um, within Faculty of Applied Arts, there was a section called Costume and Fashion, and that's uh, what I actually graduated in at the end. So, so it was kind of a mixture of architectural knowledge, history of art, drawing, etc. So many, many different categories together. And then from there, I moved on to Central St. Martins, to um, MA under famous Louise Wilson. And that was, I think, really something that formed me as a designer and who I am today. So I started my label. Uh, my first on-schedule show was in 2005. And it's been 12 years, I guess. So it's been, it's been um, very, very exciting 12 years and, and big changes within those 12 years as well. So what's it like to be the creative director of your own brand, a brand that you have founded and built up yourself? Can you tell us a little bit about the advantages of being in that position? Well, um, advantages are certainly um, that everything starts from your own vision. So you are um, coming up with what your, what your vision is, your own voice, and it's all about trying to create something that doesn't, doesn't that is different, that, that doesn't exist. Uh, but it's also resonating with our time, with women in our time. Me being a woman was was always um, quite a pivotal in, in what I do because uh, apart from creating something, I also wanted to wear it and I also wanted to feel comfortable in it. And I also wanted to make sure that in a different situations, I, I, I can reach out to different designs within my collection. So I think, I guess, all of this form who I am today and what my label is about as well. And... What are the pressures that you feel generally as a designer in this fast-paced climate nowadays? I think the main pressure really is the speed. One of the main pressures is the speed. I think being in luxury, um, the, the, the main point of luxury is that it has the workmanship, ideas, craftsmanship um, that, that are very specific, very unique, that, that take time. And unfortunately, with, with uh, you know, like 20 collections or, you know, like we, we do quite a lot of collections a year, not just four collections that uh, kind of industry is aware of, but also like many others. And uh, it just started to become really hard to find the time to not just think about new ideas, but also develop them. Digest them. Uh, digest them and develop them with, with, uh, with the factories, with, um, with the fabric suppliers, with embroidery suppliers, um, with, with different um, kind of upcoming technologies for, for, for uh, you know, fabrics as well. And I, I think that that's something that we're all facing now because consumers start to demand quite a lot and Obviously, you know, retail and wholesale responded in a way to, to kind of please them, which at the beginning probably made sense. But I think that now we're all realizing that maybe the things have become to the point that it's just too fast and that maybe we should do something to slow it down. So you're obviously still at the head of your, of your wonderful label. Um, have you ever been asked to take the helm of a different brand? Would, would you consider it if it happened? Yes, I, I think I definitely would consider it, and I was considered in the past. I was offered a few, actually, well, to be precise, three <laughs> different, quite exciting houses in Paris. But, you know, for different reasons, this, this didn't work out. Uh, definitely, if the offer is right, um, if the timing is right, I would definitely consider. But 
I must say that my label is, you know, the most important thing and always has been. I guess that we always have a certain priority. So, so if you did take, um, if you did take a position in another house, you would keep your own label. Definitely, definitely. I, I think it That's took such a <laughs> yes, it took such a long time to build all of this. Um, I, I wouldn't give it up. <laughs> And um, do you think that uh, that something is lost in a brand's identity when when the original designer steps down, or do you think it's a natural process that has to happen at some point? It really depends. I think um, sometimes it's. It- imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's lost uh, quite visibly, but sometimes it just evolves into something maybe more relevant to, to the time we live in, more maybe younger. Um, you know, it's, it's, as I said, what is important that the DNA and the style of the brand are preserved and treated with, with respect and, and uh, that, that heritage that certain designer managed to create and, and legacy that he or she left are actually um, taken, being taken further. But, um, you know, none of us can live forever and none of us can stay relevant forever. I think aging, both in terms of age and in, in terms of, you know, what you create, it's um, eminent. So, so I, I think it's, it's, it's okay for, for people to kind of come and take over when, when the time is right. And where would you like to see Roxandra in five years? I think I would just uh, like to see myself progressing in a way that I'm progressing right now. I'm very happy where I am uh, with um, new ranges, like my new bag range and an extension of my woman's wear and, and kind of dressing the woman for, as I say, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And I, I would just la- like to see that all multiplied and, and bigger and stronger and just creating a certain inspiration and legacy for younger designers as well. Super, well thank you so much for talking to us. Thank and, you. Um, I look forward to seeing the next collection then. <laughs> I'm looking forward to showing it to you. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. 
know how hard it is for young and upcoming creatives to get all the attention they deserve amidst all the noise. So here are some of our favorites, um, the people that we follow and that we love. Okay, so this is an obvious one because he's like the king of Instagram, but Jacquemus is amazing. Uh, I was going to say Jacquemus. I just came back from Marseille where I saw his mini exhibition. It was so fantastic. And all his visuals just come together in such an interesting way. He's definitely my favorite. Uh, Felipe Oliveira Baptista of Lacoste yes, is rather handy with the gram as well. And very handsome. Just like Simon. Simon's also very handsome. What else? Awake? I love following Awake as well. They have beautiful um, inspiration imagery and like, because it's a brand that's quite difficult to style, I think it's quite nice to go on there because it also gives you new ideas how to wear their own clothes. And Regina Pugh, I think, also. She's great. Yeah. Again, like lots of editorial images. I mean, you know we love her because we're always wearing her. But yeah. And I just wanted to do a special mention to Zanzan Eyewear. They're not ready to wear their sunglasses. But these guys have been mood boarding on Instagram and Pinterest and everywhere else. They've created an entire universe of vintage photography, inspiration photography, everything. We know that Monica loves an archival photograph. Uh, yes, I love. When she doesn't know what to post, uh, An archival photograph. And I dare say Zanzan Eyewear is a source of great inspiration for me in that regard. So check them out if you have So there you go. There's our top five for the week. Next up, it's back to the real world with the birds and the bees in partnership with Bumble. So as we mentioned before, we are now officially working with Bumble, the dating app, which we are thrilled about. So basically, I'm Carrie Bradshaw, and this is no longer Fashion No Filter, but my dating column. Uh, does that make me Samantha encouraging you to go on a lot of dates? No, 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 no. You're, you're Charlotte with the perfect hair, most definitely. Oh, thanks. Anyway, I thought we should take today's musical chair game and see if it applies to our love life. Aha! It's true. Who hasn't fallen for the ex of a friend after all, eh, Cam? Mm-hmm. I know where you're going there. Yes, we did date the same boy, and yes, I do recognize that... In general, it's a no-go to go and date an ex's friend, a friend of an ex. An I ex did not friend. mind, by the way. <laughs> Disclaimer, it was not a problem in our relationship. Anyway, it's pretty convenient that now we're working with a dating app because there you go, all my single problems are resolved in one. <laughs> we were talking about like what a dating app can do for you. And it's true that at first when I signed up to it, I thought that I would be bumping into a lot of strangers. But actually, the funny thing is... I realized that we were running in, I was running into a lot of guys that I've met in real life and that like maybe as a friend of a friend or someone that I've only met a few times and being reintroduced to them in that setting meant that it was much easier to break the ice and sort of make that first move and say, hi, like fancy seeing you here. And then one thing led to another and we were going for a drink really easily when in normal circumstances that would never really have happened. Yeah. And just like also a note to our listeners, the quality of the men on Bumble are, I mean, they're probably far higher than my exes. No offense. Love you all. <laughs> anyway, give it a go because I have and it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and by the way, uh, Bumble has a super new exciting project called Bumble Biz. Very exciting. Coming out at the end of the summer. We can't wait to tell you more about that. For our last interview, we're going back to Paris, where Monica caught up with the president of Chloe, Geoffroy de la Bourdonnais. Chloe recently said goodbye to Claire Veit-Keller as creative director and have welcomed to the house Natasha Ramsey-Levy. Let's see what we can expect from the new Chloe house. So I am here with Geoffroy de la Bourdonnais, the president of Chloe. Good morning, absolutely. <laughs> We're sitting here in the Chloe offices and 
it's kind of a new era at Chloe. And I'd love to know how the creative side and the business side of a house like Chloe interact on a general level. Well, first, thank you for inviting me. It's true that in fashion, the relationship between the creative uh, direction and the business direction is crucial because everything starts with the creation. Uh, the desire, in a way, of uh, for a brand starts with the collections. It's amplified by the communication. And then this desire will make clients want to go to our boutiques. And then we need our job in the boutiques is to transform the desire into pleasure. But without desire, there's no pleasure. But you can be very frustrated if, when you come to a boutique, the desire that you have is disappointed. So our job in the boutique and the business job is to actually amplify the desire and exceed the expectations of our clients by offering a service which is superior, but not just a standard uh, prestigious service, but something which is in line with the attitude of Chloe. And what makes Chloe unique is, is the Chloe girl and the attitude, very natural, very uh, effortless, but at the same time very feminine and very graceful. So we're trying to translate that. So the combination of desire, which is the creation, and pleasure, which is basically the client relationship, are the two pillars of how we organize at Chloe. So talking about our creative director, Natasha, the thing which is very important to us is that she's part of the whole organization. It's not isolated. It's not a separate organization. Mm -hmm. We constantly are in talk. She's, of course, at the origin of the creation, but she listens a lot to the clients, which come from, from the boutique. So we can talk about all that. So it's crucial. I think people would be really curious to know whether you and Natasha would sit down every morning. My job is not to do everything. My job is to empower the teams yeah. to do their job and to make the decisions at the right level. Yeah. So for ready-to-wear, for example, we have someone who is in charge of ready-to-wear. For accessories, we have somebody who is in charge of accessories. For mm -hmm. shoes, we have somebody who is in charge of shoes. And in each category, we have the creation, designers, and marketing people, the product development people. And of course, the whole creation is supervised by Natasha. Once you choose as a CEO, a creative director, you need to give her the power to make her own creative decision. So I'm not interfering with the creative process every day. All I'm trying to do is to give her the tools, the experience, the learnings that we've had over the years. What is Chloe? Who is this Chloe girl that she, she's so evanescent in a way? And what doesn't work at Chloe? Because in the case of Natasha, she's just joined And it would be the case for any new creative director in a maison. You need to understand what's unique in the maison, the, the soul of the maison, the spirit of the maison, the Chloe yeah. girl spirit. And that takes a bit of time. And it's the dialogue between the teams that have been here for a long time and the freshness of a new eye, which we, which is crucial in fashion. And that is combination, which hopefully will give something refreshing, but at the same time, very Chloe. When do you get that sense that you need a new eye? How do you feel that in your position? Mm -hmm. It's not a science. As you know, uh, we of course have a business to run. So the revenue levels and the growth that we expect are the key uh, performance indicators that we use in our jargon to measure the performance of a collection or the performance of a category. But I would say I don't think there's any rule. I mean, Chloe has had... Uh, 
over the 65 years, many designers, by the way, none of them were known when they joined. Most of them became stars of their generation, from Karl Lagerfeld to uh, Phoebe Philo, Stella McCartney, Claire Whitkeller recently. So, so you're saying a lot of these young people first had their breakout... At Chloe. At Chloe. Karl really, really started at Chloe. He, he spent 25 years in Chloe altogether. So it's the longest standing creative director at Chloe in 65 years. And the second longest standing is Claire Whitkeller six years. So in between you had lots of creative directors who spent like between three and four years. So I don't think there's any rule. It's true that in fashion, probably more than in any other business, but it's a creative driven business, the balance we need to always strike is between newness and continuity. If you only do things new every season, you may you may lose your clients. But if you only do only do things which are repetitive, you lose their interest because it becomes boring. So we try to be to, to, to balance the two. Uh, just to give you an example, in the case of bags, we have icons like the Marcy bag, uh, now the Drew bag, and these are long-standing uh, recurring bags. But at the same time, we have new bags like the Nile bag today. So this balance is crucial to, to make the, the business vibrant. In ready-to-wear, the balance between what I call the iconic attitude or the iconic silhouette of Chloe, which is basically a blouse and a pair of pants, or a bohemian dress, flu, fluid, and, uh, and very light. Those are the two iconic silhouettes of Chloe because they represent the freedom of women today and, 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 and the lightness and the movement that is so characteristic of the Chloe girl. So just to, to, to come back to your first question about the cycle of creative and when do you need to decide, it's usually something which comes organically when you realize that it's time for a refreshing or for a change. And I think for creative people, it's also important sometimes to change pastures. You know, mm. you don't always grow well in the same field. Sometimes you need to change fields. Why Natasha Hamzidavi? I read in the New York Times you were quoted as having said that part of what drew you to her was her loyalty. No, I think it's important because fashion is all about change and newness, but. People forget that the best performing teams or the best performing talents or the best performing maison usually have a very stable team as well. So the quality of loyalty for me is very important. In, in fact, in general, not just to, for creative jobs. When I look at CVs, people who've changed every two or three years, I don't even look at their CVs. Because if you haven't spent a good five to ten years within one maison, I don't think you can measure the real impact. It takes time to make a real impact anywhere. Now, coming back to Natasha, the choice was quite unexpected in the sense that she was not on my radar. It was the headhunter who brought her to my attention. I thank the headhunter for that. I had some other talents on my radar. And when I first met Natasha, there was kind of a very obvious fit with first her personality, which is very Chloe, in the sense that she's very daring, but at the same time very feminine and very outgoing and very joyful. Uh, and also her experience, which is quite compelling because she's been very loyal. She's worked under the guidance of Nicolas Gesquier, one of the best couturiers of today, in a maison like Balenciaga, which is known for being the haute couture of today. And in, uh, so she, know, she masters the couture craft superbly in a French Parisian maison. So the combination of that savoir-faire, the couture savoir-faire, and youth attitude, I think she embodies the youth attitude and she has 
learned this uh, couture savoir-faire is very Chloe. Because Chloe is really at the intersection of the savoir-faire of couture and the attitude of the youth. When you think on how Gabby Aguillon created Chloe in the, after the war, it was the post-war counterculture time. She really wanted to give women something which gave them freedom when they work and keeping their graceful feminine silhouette. Because uh, she came to Paris and said, I thought the French were, well, Paris was the capital of liberty. And I realized that the women didn't have the right to vote or didn't have the right to open a bank account without the, without the agreement of their husband. When in, in Egypt, where she came from, they, they, they had that right. So we sometimes forget that when we give lessons of democracy or lessons of modernity, some countries were more modern than you think. Anyway, so she, she created that by she hide seamstresses from the Maison Le Long, a haute couture maison which uh, had closed. So she, she brought this haute couture savoir-faire, but she invented a new twist, which was the luxury ready to wear, by created blouses which were more fluid, more uh, ample, so that women could be free. So she gave movement and uh, freedom to women without losing their feminine grace. Uh, well, that's this duality which is very important. Which is totally carried over today, actually. Yeah. It seems that Natasha does have an even more youthful, maybe a bit more rock and roll, maybe a bit more <coughs> Paris by night kind of vibe to her. Do you think that in September we can expect like a really big change on the catwalk? We expect change. And we want change because that's what makes fashion exciting is to come up with newness. But it's a change around the same theme. You have to go back to the roots of the Maison. The soul which Gabby injected into the Maison from the very start. I was lucky to meet Gabby before she died. I mean, uh, I had lunches with, uh, at her home a couple, couple of occasions. And what struck me with, uh, with her, she was 92 or 93, she spoke to me like a teenager. In her attitude, whatever her age, her attitude was about there. She, she said very often, I have sass. I want to do what I want to do. I don't care what people think. She had this freedom. And she wanted to basically challenge the, the status quo of haute couture. You cannot design a strategy abstractly. You have to see where we're coming from. So I've always felt that any brand values are basically directly linked to the personality of its founder. When I was at Liberty, Arthur Liberty's values totally still alive with Liberty. Uh, if you look at Apple, it's Steve Jobs. If you look at now uh, Chloe, it's Gabby Aguillon. Look back, look back at the personality of Gabby, and I was lucky to meet her alive. She's a Chloe girl, whatever her age. I mean, she's vibrant, she's positive, she's joyful, she's got this outgoing energy uh, from basically the Mediterranean. She's very... Uh, she likes light, she likes color, she likes joy, which is inherent to the attitude of the Chloe girl. Well, it certainly is that. Geoffroy, thank you so much. Thank you. And now it's time for Dressed for Radio. So inspiring was Geoffroy de la Bordonnée on the subject of the long-standing spirit of the Chloe girl during his interview, that we felt compelled to each embrace one of the two egos of the house. After little debate, it was agreed that Monica was definitely the free floaty dress lass and I was more of the blouse and pant kind of girl. Right, so I shall don a floaty yellow eyelety silk dress that would be happiest running through 
sunny fields, or should I say buzzing like a bumblebee, Monica's who eventually her. comes upon a beautiful 70s-inspired home in which there is glorious wallpaper. That's me. I'm the wallpaper. The perks of being a Chloe wallpaper, I guess. So yeah, I'm wearing the off-the-shoulder top with the big bows on the shoulders and the cropped high-waist pant with the 70s mustard print, the wallpaper print. And I guess we're going to go to the party now and try and grab Geoffroy for a picture. Do you think he's going to be happy to see us? I'm sure he will. Geoffroy, here we come. <laughs> Thank you to all of our guests. Roxanne, it was great having you, and the lovely Elizabeth Payton from the New York Times. And thank you to Geoffroy de la Bourdonnais for telling us about the future of Chloe and a bit more about the remarkable Gabi Aguillon. And once again, thank you to Bumble, without whom the show would not be possible. Thank you, Bumble. See you next time on Fashion No Filter. Hi. Hi. Just say hi. 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 Like how I hi. pictured your Maya singer. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.